0: As civilizations evolve, popular mythologies develop, and some dreadful version of the bogey is intrinsic to civic life, giving a form and function to our fears and anxieties. A victorious conclusion to World War II established the United States of America as the preeminent global power, beginning an epoch defined by the explosion and diffusion of mass communication technology a reflecting prism through which the experiences and imaginings of the public would emerge. In the 1970s, serial killers were an emergent phenomenon both enigmatic and frightening. As their numbers crested in the 1980s, they became part of a developing pop mythology, the world-building of a modern nation crafted and diffused through mass media. The explosion of crime and unrest of the period Developed and disseminated through the power of mass media filtered America's fear and curiosity into an orgy of commercial exploitation. Serial killers went from an inscrutable menace to a player in a national pageant and fixture in the nation's civic religion of commerce, of the fresh minting and distribution of pop culture heroes and villains. They became not just a resource, but a currency, which many were eager to lay claim to for their own purposes." If the seeming normalcy of the infamous serial killers in the 1970s unsettled the public, the serial killers to emerge in the 1980s seemed to be right out of central casting. From the Satan-worshipping Night Stalker, to Henry Lee Lucas and Otis Toole, two scraggly-toothed drifters, heralded at the time as the worst serial killers who had ever lived, with murders in the hundreds or even thousands. Though they were, in actuality, Likely, little more than a badge-wielding carnival barker's loyal hounds. This is the golden age of serial murder. As I said, it's in some—it's I think in some ways a an interesting contrast to the episode we did a couple episodes back on the Delta Project, the trafficking network, and all these connected networks, because that was uh, something that was happening. in the shadows, but kind of everywhere. Uh, but it was there was information about it was being covered up and it was not being investigated and it was just being hushed up. And this case, I think, is the other side of, of what you're seeing with this whole thing becoming an, a big national panorama, which is that in the era of mass media, in the era of mass communication, that you that you have essentially, these two guys, Henry Lee Lucas and Otis Tool, are these drifters, you know, these Southern Hick kind of like stereotypes. Out of a, there's somewhere, you know, by the fact that his name was Otis, his mother clearly couldn't spell Otis properly, but he, um, uh, Henry Lee Lucas was from um, Western Virginia, Blacksburg, and uh, born in 1936. Otis Toole born in 1947 in Jacksonville, Florida, and they were two drifters who, who were who I think were very close. They they lived with each other. In a house for a while, sometimes they were on the road, sometimes with uh, Otis's niece, uh, Becky, who becomes kind of a a big part of the story. And here's the one thing we know for a fact about them that is criminal, which is that um, Henry Lee Lucas uh, killed his horribly abusive mother, Viola. Whether it was intentional or accidental in 1960, he went to jail and was in and out of jails and mental hospitals uh, throughout the 60s. Both Henry and Otis Toole suffered significant brain damage. And so it's, as a result, it's kind of hard to tell what any, whether anything they say or what a lot of people around them say is true or not. The story that was believed it was manufactured by um, uh, members of the Texas Rangers and Texas police departments and then some of the media, and that, and I think that fused with a lot of, of, of how they how they connected to representations of horror movie figures in the 70s and 80s, fused with this image of these two scraggly-toothed redneck drifters who, it was believed, had killed hundreds, maybe thousands. And in, in one telling, even, were agents of an international satanic cult headquartered in the Everglades National Park in Florida which, if anyone knows about it, there are people in the Everglades. So I'm guessing the high priest of the Hand of Death cult was an alligator. They were they were believed to be these the two worst serial killers of all time for some time, and then on the opposite side of it, it's entirely possible that uh, they that Henry Lucas killed one, maybe up to three, and Otis Tool. None of them, none of the murders have been proven, but Henry Lucas was convicted of eleven murders. Later, granted clemency by Governor George W. Bush for one that would have got him executed, and Otis Tool was convicted of six, but there's I don't think there's any proof that that was the case. So on one end of the story, you have that they you have these two guys were agents of an international cult headquartered in the Everglades, but involved many, many uh, high-ranking uh, uh, members. And on the other side of it, you that that this is all made up except for Henry Lucas killing his mother, and 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 and. and, and, and and, but it could also be somewhere in between, although I think skewing to the second narrative is the only one. But the thing is, is that the reason we're covering this is because it's not so much that we're covering, like in a lot of the episodes, we're covering the development of, uh, of what are essentially development of serial killers and then the chronicling of their crimes and, uh, and, and the psychological portrait. And in this case, it's one of those cases where we're not ever going to know what happened for sure. And what we're t- in, in in these criminals' cases, but what, but this is more of a story of 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 the time and place. Really, this is more part of the panorama that we're telling of the golden age of serial murder. This is more the media. This is more a media uh, a confabulation, more of a media uh, a a basically an, a, a fraud perpetuated by um, by the uh, various members of the Texas uh, law enforcement. And some of the media, and all, and and a uh, the the a credulous, uh fearful public, who are always interested in a good story, and and what is American history but a series of really good stories, some of which are true, and some of which are exaggerated. So I mean that, that this is a this is a story of I think a a tall tale, of serial murder, involving two guys who may have killed. A handful of people, or may uh, uh, you know, maybe a few more than that, or maybe none at all, except for Henry Lee Lucas's mother. But let's look at what we know about them. As I said, Henry Lee Lucas was born in 1936 in Blacksburg, Virginia. That's west. That's a Western Virginia near the West Virginia border. This is Appalachia, and and he had a childhood that is one of the worst in the record uh, in the history of, that we're going to cover in this in this. Uh,
1: Series or really that you could cover on the topic. Yeah. So his uh, his mother, Viola, uh, was a prostitute, and she used to actually have sex with some of the the Johns in front of other members of the of the household. Uh, I think you would force them to watch, including her husband. She even had some of her Johns were the only people that were allowed to eat uh, in the house, and um, yeah. the children, well, the, incu- any food the before, children, uh, including Henry Lucas, had to tidy up the plates uh, of the food. Um, Henry Lucas's father became, oh, what was it? What was it? I um, in terms of his, uh, was he a paraplegic or? Uh, what happened was
0: is that first, it's worth mentioning that both uh, Henry Lucas's parents were alcoholics, and um, like many people in the area, his father uh, made moonshine, which Henry himself would drink a fair amount of, even at the age of ten. This is following severe brain damage so it didn't help. But his father, one thing is Henry Henry's father he was uh, who was a, apparently very uh, apparently kind to Henry, the one person in life who was kind to him, but he. He one one day he was walking and uh, while well, well, uh severely inebriated, and he passed on the railroad tracks and the railroad and the train ran over his legs and he had to get them amputated. So he ends up going around as a double amputee on in a cart or or on a or on a board that he would drag around with, uh, and and in that capacity he sold uh, homemade moonshine and sometimes um, pencils. Off, off this, you
1: know and Henry's father was so unhappy with the situation with his mother that one time he got s- sick of what she was doing went out in the snow drank caught pneumonia and uh, according to Henry he, he died
0: yeah I think this was intentional I think he, he dragged himself out of the house on his board or in his his um his cart and and, and, and allowed himself to die of the elements and, you know, you can understand how that would be. because You know, he was living not just in this abject squalor, unable to support his family, but with this domineering, sadistic uh, wife who ran the family, who terrorized everyone, who humiliated him and the family constantly, and psychologically abused the children by having sex in front of them. The thing is, is that a lot of what Henry Lee Lucas says about anything now he he was someone because he suffered severe brain damage. He couldn't really tell later in life whether this was, whether you know, whether he was uh, telling things that were true or false or, or confusing actual memories with fantasy. But the thing about this uh, childhood is, it was corroborated by uh, his siblings and by a school teacher who had uh, who had pity on him. Uh, and and uh, Henry was um. We know for a fact that, that, you know, a lot of this, this, this account is really is correct. And also that Henry's mother dressed him up as was Otis Tool's parents as well would do the same. Henry's mother dressed him up as a girl. I mean, he did his hair up. He had long hair. He did, did his hair up and like a girl and put him in girls clothes, although she did not buy him shoes. Uh, and so he went to school for, I think, years dressed as a girl without new shoes. <laughs> And uh, it has been mentioned, I don't know if this is true, but it has been mentioned that part of dressing up as a girl was his mother essentially turning him out, marketing him to Johns, who would have an interest in a little boy dressed as a girl. And I don't know if that's true or not, but it's entirely believable. The thing is, is that the the school teacher um, bought him shoes and uh, sent him home with these fresh pairs of shoes, and he was beaten uh, soundly by his mother for accepting charity. So she was just a domineering, abusive, tyrannical figure, and um.
1: And in that period, Henry it, did lose his eye as well.
0: Yeah, well, that was because he and his brother Henry did like like to play with his brother. Uh, later, claim would be more than play, but um, we don't know for sure. But what happened was his brother and he were playing around, and his brother accidentally hit him in the eye with a knife, and it it got infected and partially dislodged, and. His mother didn't take them to uh, to the doctor. Um, they were they did they grew up in a shack in, 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 in Western Virginia. I'm not sure. I got reading this story a lot, thinking that where was social services? Why were they not uh, relocated? But this was also a different time, and it's the in rural South, and you know, uh, corporal punishment or even some level of abuse was normal, considered even, you know, what the Southern comic Reddy Hunter said. You know,
1: it, it, when he was young, beating your kids just meant you a good Christian. And, and <laughs> early on, uh, Henry would start to get in, in trouble um, for a lot of things. But he claims at the age of 14 that he he uh, committed his first murder. So he says that it was 51 and he cornered a, a young 17-year-old, dragged her into the bushes and killed her.
0: Yeah, we, we don't know if this is true. We have no idea whether this is true or whether this is false. But as I said, what you'll find with both Henry Lee Lucas and Otis Tool is these were these were they had childhoods that were out of you know tailor made to produce a serial killer. They both suffered an extreme brain damage. Henry, because he was hit by uh, bored by his mother uh, so hard that he was in a coma for three days and had uh, damage to his um, frontal and temporal lobe, which is a combination you see that is another thing tailor made for being. A violent, impulsive person with no impulse control, and the thing about it is, is that we don't know if he did that. He also claimed around this time that he and his brother had, had you know, his, I think his half brother had sex with each other and had, and, had and, and 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 killed and had sex with animals, and this is all part of these this lurid stories that he tells uh, law enforcement later on. We don't know if this is true or not, but we don't know a lot about his childhood
1: other than what was corroborated by his teacher and his siblings well I feel like uh, Otis tools childhood isn't as grievous obviously he's being dressed well up by his his mother in uh, women's clothes but Otis was Otis was, was Otis was uh, homosexual so I don't you know this yes
0: but at the age of five he was raped by a family
1: friend yeah he was
0: also he was also um, you know molested by his sister's it's a little
1: bit similar. I think. I think. think, you know, I, think I think. In terms of his parents, it was wasn't as bad. Yeah, it was. It, it was well, other it, it, other family. It's, food. We don't
0: know for sure because
1: th- there's some. Because 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 some... Sarah Tool was supposed to be a you know like a very religious God fearing woman, who kind of doted a little bit on Otis. Uh, you know, his his father wasn't involved that much because he was uh, an out of work painter, but it wasn't as it's negative as
0: um, we don't know. T- what Henry is his his he did like Henry. Uh, um, artist uh, did, did put in a lot of colorful embellishments, and at least in some accounts of the story about about that he was that he may have been uh, pimped out by his father to his friends or whatever. But I don't know if that's true or not. The thing is, is that one the the thing that is a consistent thing in this case is you have these two, uh, uh. Men who have uh, low IQs, in the case of Otis Tool, extremely low IQ, below the level of uh, clinical function, and um, and who who suffered extreme brain damage, who ne- who suffered a great deal of abuse and neglect in childhood, who didn't have many people take an interest in them. Otis Tool, his mo- he said that he did like his mother, and Henry liked his father, but his father was you know uh, died when he was uh, just a young teenager. And uh, and 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 was disabled before that, um, but the thing is, is that there you have two severely brain damaged uh, fantasists who whose stories feed into each other, and in the case, at the very least, of Henry Lee Lucas, he has the sorts of sort of brain damage where he can't genuinely cannot tell the difference between memory and fantasy, and we only know the things about his childhood because they're corroborated by other. Their siblings and his, uh, his, te- his his school teacher, and should also you mentioned the school teacher. Um, he had the
1: partially damaged eye. His school teacher ended up uh, leading to it, uh, it being removed and replaced by a glass eye because she accidentally uh, hit it with a, uh, a glass tip ruler. That was she, she meant well, but she <laughs> that was just neither of these guys could really catch a break. So um, the, the, you talked about um, fantasies. Uh, it, uh, I think it was called. Conf- Confabulations, so referred yeah. to as the production of or creation of false or erroneous memories without the intent to deceive, sometimes called honest lying. Alternatively, confabulation is a falsification of memory by a person who believes he or she is generally communicating truthful memories. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think in the case particularly
0: of Henry Lee Lucas, that is a pretty good explanation, likely, of what a lot of what he was saying to the cops, because... You know, he—that uh, uh, was certainly the conclusion that people drew uh, with uh, with Lucas towards the end of his life. Was as they became people became more and more aware um, that he was being prompted by uh, threats and gifts by law enforcement and by some other grifters uh, contributing to this who came into the picture. That that, that it was serious, it was seen by many who examined him, you know, or at least some who examined him. Uh, Particularly later on, that he genuinely couldn't tell the difference between um, his memories and these stories he was telling. So, and and the thing was is that the important thing you remember is that the stories he told and on uh, and Otis, they played into each other, but they also they they most importantly they served a function for both of them and for all these other people in their orbit.
1: But so, but this, someone did. You know, uh... Henry did kill was, was his mother. So at this time, Henry was looking to marry a, a young woman called Stella, and uh, his mother had found him, and she wanted Henry to come back and live with, with, with her and take care of her, and they got into a, a big argument.
0: His mother was living in Michigan at the time, I think, and, and uh, I think, as we mentioned earlier, his mother supported was the primary supporter of the family through prostitution, Although she only prepared food for the Johns, although she forced her husband and her children to watch her uh, engaging in sex, and at one point she even—I I, I, she apparently even shot one of the Johns with a with a rifle or a shotgun because he gave her an orgasm. <laughs> she was just—it was—it wasn't like she was in, sexually enjoyed watching her family watch her have, have sex as horrible as that would be. It was she just she just loved. Um, torturing people it seems but and, and after all this horrible abusive and neglectful childhood she expected uh henry to uh to come and live with her and um what we don't know about the, the the killing of henry of um henry's mother and this is the one killing which henry never disputes and no one disputes this did happen we don't know if it was intentional we don't know if it was uh, came out of rage or if it was an accident because they got into a fight, and Henry, um, I think, swung his fist. I think he might have tried to hit her, and then he said there was a knife in his hand. He didn't know he had a knife in his hand, and nicked her, her throat, and that's
1: what killed her. So he was so he was, so was, he was caught. That's, that's so he was caught by police in Ohio, put on trial for murder. He pleaded for, to second degree murder, although in the years he would contend that he should have pled not guilty since he tech he was technically defending himself. This is what he would claim in, in the future. And then he was put in a Michigan prison. He was in and out of prison and mental hospitals during that time, because he, he had a lot of uh, very pronounced uh, uh, symptoms of,
0: of uh, mental disturbance, as, probably as a result of having suffered just extreme brain damage at a young age, and then exacerbating that further with drinking moonshine a lot at the age of 10, um, so yeah, he was, he was in jail in, uh, for that killing. And it, there was no question that he did that, but we don't know the motivation or the exact context for it. Certainly, um, Viola, his mother, who, I think she was, um, half, uh, Cherokee or Choctaw, red, uh, that's not relevant other than to say that, that alcoholism is a serious problem in the, um, in the, in the, in the various indigenous, uh, populations. Uh, they have not; ha- they were not accustomed to uh, alcohol until it was introduced to them. And a lot of uh, a lot of people, both in true crime and elsewhere, have had these very abusive parents who, who were uh, alcoholics, but they were indigenous, but were um, partially.
1: But so at this time, this time he would, as you say, he would have uh, various mental problems. He would hear voices. He, he went through shock treatments. Yeah, you know, they were they they were trying to stabilize him. He even attempted suicide o- on one occasion. I think this is
0: another way we can look into the, the function of, of these stories that he tells. Is that is that he he, he is he, as you said he he, he committed suicide. He tried to commit suicide. He he was given a lot of treatments. When he starts um, telling these stories, eventually to the law enforcement and everyone else, it makes it makes him important. It gives him an audience. It gives him human companionship, and it gives him um, some function. He's important to someone. He's and you know and and he had at one point been close with his father. The, the the sort of the main I think overhanging figure of this episode, Sheriff James Boutwell, becomes kind of a surrogate father for him. And he and he loves He just wants to please his father in a sense. He wants to please the people around him. He wants to. He develops these attachments to people. And this is another thing that, that that makes you... You don't really see this with serial killers, you know? I don't know what the psychological profile of Henry was other than severe brain damage and, uh, and a, ten, a, ten, a tendency to violence resulting from that. Um, we don't know what he did, as I said, or what he didn't do, other than that he killed his mother. But he does seem to have both an interest in um, pleasing people, not just for the sake of what it can uh, acquire from him in the moment, but because he wants to... He wants to be a part of something. He wants to impress them and to give them what they want. But also, he—he—he. He, he, there are times when he's, that have been, I've seen in, in documentaries, when he's with in the same room with Otis Toole. Those are rare because mostly they uh, corresponded on the phone when they were, after both were in jail. But they had this kind of, they doted on each other, particularly Otis on Henry. They there's, there's good reason to think that maybe they were lovers off and on. Otis was, uh, certainly, uh, uh, gay and Henry was, uh, we don't know what exactly Henry was, but the thing was, is that they were close. Henry it showcases a lot of signs of someone who is a experienced, uh, uh, adaptive con artist, but he also showcases some signs that he actually wants to be accepted and wants to, and has some, um, wants to at the very least be useful to other people and be, and, and, and uh, and and be in their in their world and be part of what they're doing, and and so you know. Whereas often with a lot of other killers we've seen these psychopaths, where it really they live in a universe of one, and uh, and it's just them and whatever who whatever whoever their prey is. There are people who Henry has encountered, whoever encountered Henry, who said that he had one affect and he changed suddenly to another one due to some thing. So we we don't know what his psychology was, but. We, I think, we do know at the very least that he had a desire to please that may have been just because it benefited him. But I think he might have also wanted to um, get the affection of certain other people who to replace what he never grew up with or lost.
1: Now into the, the into the seven the mid seventies, and Henry and Audis Tool have become friends. I think they met. At, in a, in a soup kitchen in, 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 in Florida. Oh, Florida. Oh. Yes. Yeah, so, yes. Yeah, they they met in the soup kitchen in Florida and then they got back together uh, around February 1979 in the town in Pennsylvania. Becky Powell was um, Drusilla Powell. The Becky, the, the sister of Drusilla, Drusilla Powell, still, was the niece of os oh, too Yeah. At
0: one point, uh, Henry lived with. Uh, I believe, Otis
1: Toole and Becky and was, I think maybe it was her brother yeah. or someone else in the yeah, family. Yeah, so because so here Henry talks about them being present at some of the murders that happened, right? Right. And that's kind of interesting because
0: certainly none of them were there to corroborate it because um, I don't even know what happened to Becky's brother, but, um, but, Be- but Becky herself, uh, one of the most prominent claims uh, and confessions that Henry Lucas makes is that he killed uh, Becky Powell. Although there's a lot of things we don't really know for certain. Uh, no, no, um, the body of Becky Powell has never been found. We don't know. You know, we don't even know for certain she's dead. And in fact, as we find out a woman, a fallacy, at one point, falsely claims to be Becky Powell. There's there. The only thing we know about Becky Powell is that in, in one of the confessions, Henry Lee Lucas claims that uh, they got into a fight, and he ha- sort of blacked out from it. And when he came to, he, he there was a knife sticking out of her chest. And that's a bit similar to the story about his mother. So either, that, either he took the story of his mother and changed it, or that's exactly what happened. Because one thing that happens with this kind of brain damage is stress can cause these sort of moments of dissociative uh, blackouts or amnesia that, you know... And he had a very serious damage to both his frontal lobe and, and temporal lobe, which leads to a lack of uh, impulse regulation. And he may have just lost it in that moment and accidentally killed her. But the thing about it is, is Henry, Henry, uh, talks about Becky. He, Henry's described and Becky described as being, kind of having a common law marriage. Becky was a young teenager. So, um, that was something that was actually probably accepted in, in the South, but obviously people will look at it differently now. The thing about it is, though, is that we don't know for certain at any point that, that they actually had any types of relations. Apparently, Becky um, made advances, and and, and and Henry insists he went off to satisfy himself by killing other people and having sex with the dead bodies. Henry repeatedly claims that he said that he can only get off with dead bodies, then there are claims that he and that he had sex with his uh, with his brother and animals, and he had, he claims, you know, then he may have been a lover of Otis. We don't know about any of this stuff. He says a lot of things for effect, and one of the, one of the things he said that that just made me kind of laugh was, you would he, when he was just he would just make up these stories about necrophilia just to just to just to, you know, to impress or intimidate the law enforcement, and and, and they asked him about, it and he just said. Well, I don't know what a man would do without sex with the dead. That just—I think he made that up. I think I think he was just telling telling stories. You know, I think <laughs> I think that's what a lot of this is—is is that he's he's suicidal throughout this time, his first time in jail, you know, and in End hospitals. But when, as soon as he becomes involved in this whole scheme with the Texas Rangers and Jim Boutwell, and becomes this. This iconic figure and and involves Otis in it. And they they keep they keep telling stories that further each other's stories. Suddenly they're important. People want to talk, be around them. They're getting all manner of perks. Their lives are different. This you know this this actually I think that they they liked being in jail more than being out most of the time. But also they particularly if they got attention, and it's it's telling that.
1: Uh, and I that think head- uh, to- it's the. It's the case of Kate Rich, who was the landlord of Henry Lee Lucas that gets him involved with the police and ultimately gets him um, into the public spotlight for the claims of of his crime. So it was Sheriff Conway and uh, Ryan who were looking for Kate Rich after it. After um she had she had gone missing, and then they looked into uh, Henry Lucas. Yeah.
0: Um. There are um three. As I said, there's no doubt that Henry Lee Lucas killed his abusive mother Viola, but um, and then you know you get into all the various things he confessed to, but um, the the the, uh, the two uh, murders that. It's considered more likely that he did, and partly because. He was initially uh, suspected for them. Was besides Becky Powell, uh, who disappeared at a certain point, was Kate Rich. Kate Rich was the landlord. Henry Lucas. It's worth noting Henry Lucas lived, as is typical of a drifter, lived in various places at various times. At one point, he and Becky lived in, in, in a kind of a born again, kind of a in in a, in a kind of a born again uh, area. At one point, he said, his, "I think he said the best time he had in his life was he was living in this assortment of chicken coops that was associated with a, with, with with some sort of church," and which, is, I think, tells you a little bit about uh, the the circumstances he grew up in. But he would get he would get jobs at various places that he lived as a roofer. But uh, Kate Rich at, uh, was a landlady um or somewhere he was living, and one and, and she disappeared at a certain point. There are very. He has various claims. He has the song and dance about that he killed her to have sex with her dead body, and I we, we I don't know if that's true. What I think, from what I've looked into it, a, a, that he may have had some dispute over, over the finances. That's more commonly why a landlady or landlord is killed, um, and uh, she was a, a a very stubborn, independent woman who who ran this uh, operation herself. I think uh, you know
1: these properties um that he lived in and um so um Re- reuben moore is is approached by the sheriff conway to discuss uh, the kate rich issue and try to find out the last time he'd seen henry lucas this gets mixed in with the becky powell issue because reuben moore tells conway that the last time he saw Lucas, he was with uh, a young lady called Becky Powell, trying to hitch a ride with a trucker. But that that's actually the, also the last time that anyone else sees Becky Powell as well. Right.
0: And is this... How is this end up working? Does he, does, is this, does he confess to these? Or is he just initially
1: suspected of these? So he's initially, he's initially suspected uh, more, in the, more in the rich issue. But uh, so... The sheriff comes, and then um, they come and they they talk to. They talk to Henry Lucas, uh, it's called a, a detective called Ryan Ryan, who's also supported by the sheriff Conway. They they go to uh, Henry Lucas's house. Uh, they they ask him about Kate Rich. Initially, they don't have enough to bring him, and Henry Lucas is not confessing to to the Kate Rich issue at at all but it it isn't until there is a that the ryan gets henry lucas on a weapons charge that he goes back to henry lucas's house and then brings him in this this is actually is before henry lucas meets jim and before he confesses but this is the reason why he was brought in under investigation
0: yeah ryan i think was a fairly known nonsense uh uh, you know, investigator. Um, and and I don't think he had any particular aspirations beyond doing the job. But I know at one point, uh, Henry Lee Lucas claims that uh, he disposed of part of the body in a stove uh, that, he would, that he burned part of the body in. And apparently they found what they thought were some remains of, of bones or something like that. I'm not sure, though, at this point, there was enough um, scientific advancement to, to determine for sure the nature of those both, like exactly what, who the DNA belonged to. But, um, if there wasn't Kate Rich in that stove, if, if part of her body hadn't been disposed of in that stove, you wonder, I mean, I guess it could have been possibly an animal, but I I don't know. Um, it seems, it seems uh, believable to think that that's what happened because, uh, I don't know know why, why you put animal bones in, into that sort of stove. This isn't a cooking stove. This is like a, a wood burning stove for you know for heating. And at this point, he's just been arrested. He's just been you know looked at for these for for these these initial murders. Ha- we we don't have this giant extravaganza yet.
1: Yeah. So while um, Harry Lucas is under investigation he starts to think about, uh, he claimed that he started to think about Becky Powell and, um, and that made it easier for the investigators who saw he was jittery. Sure. He, he, he needed his, his coffee to get him to talk about Kate rich and, uh, to talk about Becky Powell.
0: Henry was a, a, uh, uh, like a lot of people, a coffee holic. He loved to. He loved to. He 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 uh, would drink a lot of coffee and smoke a lot of cigarettes, and uh, and he was and and um, one thing that law enforcement would do consistently was keep him well stocked in both coffee and cigarettes, and treat him as 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 uh, as been noted almost like he was a part of the team, which in a sense he was. But it's it's very different than say when uh, John Douglas and Robert Bressler were going to interview Edmund Kemper. Sometimes they would give him some things, but they had a, they, they were, they were not trying to get answers out of him that they put there. Uh, you know, and of course in the case of Edmund Kemper, he was also a brilliant guy. So whereas, uh, uh, law enforcement, maybe not Ryan as much, but a lot of these law enforcement had a narrative that they wanted Henry Lucas to fit into. And and they and they and it helped to give him all this stuff, you know, um, like coffee, cigarettes, and then eventually, strawberry milkshakes was his favorite thing.
1: So, uh, Sh- Sheriff Conway went quickly to call Jim Batwell, Sheriff Jim Batwell, and he says, "I've I've got an old boy here you might like to you might like to talk to. Him. His name's Henry Lucas. He's cleaned up a couple murders for us." And he says he's done a lot more around the country.
0: Well, I, did I, I can't remember when we were talking about Jim Batwell. Did was that on on the recording or was it before we recorded?
1: You mean yesterday?
0: Oh, it was, okay, okay. Well, uh, to reiterate, Jim Batwell's kind of the figure who moved over this, the, the kind of the maestro of this whole uh, silly orchestra, because he was someone who. Uh, I, I think, as I think I might've mentioned, he made a, uh, a name for himself in the early sixties, uh, taking a small plane to, um, attempt to stop Charles Whitman, the, uh, famous, um, clock tower shooter, uh, in the early sixties who, who took a rifle up, uh, to the top of this tower and shot at a bunch of people, shot a bunch of people. He was a guy with military training and, um, he also had, uh, severe impairment from a, 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 a brain tumor, Jim Boutwell uh, took a small plane up, uh, which kind of went against the, the basic advice that people have is not in an isolated area, but he, he, um, he helped stop, uh, Charles Whitman and he, be, and he made a name for himself doing that. Unlike I think Phil Ryan, he, Jim Boutwell had uh, much more, I think, ambitious, aspirations for himself and kind of is said to have got drunk on the, on the, on the fame and on being a celebrity on being a kind of a, a a white knight and a, and and a, uh, you know, uh, a, a, a kind of a, a tall walking uh, lawman uh, and, you know, a, a proper Texas lawman. And the thing is, is that at a certain point, um, Jim Boutwell, uh, he, he had he had become uh, cognizant of the serial killing phenomenon. He had read uh, journalist Hugh Ainsworth's books about Ted Bundy. Hugh Ainsworth would eventually be uh, be invited down to, to interview Henry Lee Lucas and um, had a different perspective on him than Jim Batwell. But the thing is, is that Jim Batwell believed, and I don't know if this is true or not, that the I-35 highway, that there was a serial killer operating on the I-35 highway in Texas, using it, and that he believed that that there was one, and that he was intent on on proving that to the world. Whether it was the right one or not, or whether it was real or not, I think clearly was beside the point. Because when he encountered Henry Lucas, he decided that Henry Lucas would make a perfect central figure in this play he was concocting, and he was the he he would fit in the narrative as the I thirty five killer. Whether he was the i-35 killer or not and in so doing he would get jim boutwell back into the into the uh rebuild some of, of of um the reputation he had gotten for uh helping stop charles whitman or build not rebuild it build upon it and get back into the you know into the position that he wanted to be in and uh, henry lucas was more than willing to play along henry lucas um it is said that their dynamic that he saw jim boutwell as a father figure and you can certainly see how henry uh could crave that having lost his father at a young age and as i mentioned in previous episodes um it's really very difficult to not have a father in your life particularly as a child and um and i lost my dad uh at 16 and and it, it you know that has had a very bad effect on my life, I think, but the other aspect, but it's certainly, if you don't have one in your life or you lose one earlier than that, that's, um, that is, that's a different, even, even worse. Um, I think that Henry Lucas did, did like um, giving Jim Batwell what he wanted. What mattered to well was that it was a, essentially that it was a believable story that it got him the acclaim and it accounted for the, the the I-35 killer. I don't know if there was an I-35 killer or if it was multiple killers or what was going on there. But clearly, um, Jim Beltwell was one of those people in law enforcement who had become aware, like many had, I think, around that time, become aware of serial killing as a phenomenon.
1: So and, when they, um, um, when uh, Lucas was talking about a blonde, uh, Jim Beltwell would come in, um, he would have a picture, he would hold his thumb over the ligature mark and, and Henry would say something like, Oh, she's been strangled and well that's one of mine and then, you know, Jim Batwell would, would proceed to put him down for it. And that's what that was what they did with the uh Dark Blonde in, in, in Austin. And then Sheriff Conway would say something like, He's a good suspect in nearly anything. He goes everywhere. He's he's like US general delivery.
0: He, he gets the job done. I mean this is this is one of the problems we see with law enforcement sometimes is is a, a kind of a conflation of whether someone is a good fit for for for, for, for a, a an acceptable answer a good fit for the case and whether someone is the actual uh, perpetrator because this happens a lot this isn't just uh, in this case and it, and and it happens I think particularly when you have a really bad crime or you there or you have a, a, a law enforcement figures who who want to make a name for themselves or for their department and um i think that this is this this connects to a lot of other stories at the time where you have uh people who who for some whatever reason feel overlooked or they feel that their area is being overlooked and they want to make a name for for, for themselves and their and their department and lucas was all too happy to be whoever Jim Batwell needed him to be, and uh, because it is, it is a, you know as, as I think has been mentioned, Henry Lee Lucas and Otis Tool fit the public's image of what a serial killer. You know they were they were the they were the perfect image of the serial killer. They fit people's image in many ways of what was from horror movies. You know what people imagined from. Uh, the Hills of Eyes, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, or uh, the Deliverance, or these things, these, these kind of hick killers. And even though, as we've covered in our series, you had Ted Bundy and John Gacy and all these people who were part of the society, you know, lots of killers who uh, were normal or, or seem normal. This is, this is in many ways, Selling a story, not just as a story, but selling an explanation that fits the the um, the narrative that supports the position of law enforcement—that that that these people are a good fit for the crime, not necessarily because they did it, but because they fit the optics, and and, and, and they're willing to confess.
1: So this time actually. Harry Lucas is also putting Otis Tool up for some murders, which, you know, if if Otis Tool was anyone else, he would be very unhappy about this because Otis Tool at the time um, was not in in prison, was not facing uh, criminal charges for the same thing. Certainly wasn't for for murder, but got into his own issue uh, to do with an arson and then he was placed in prison in a completely different state from Henry Lou yeah, I was told was
0: from Florida. And these guys both have some, uh, you know, pretty typical indicators. I think this you could understand why he would think that they're serial killers because they both have the, uh, the child has run out of central casting, they both have the brain damage. But um, one of the other antecedents that people point to with serial killing is fire starting, and, and, and Otis Tool, it's well known for people who knew him, and he admits this, that Otis Toole was a pyromaniac. He loved setting fires. He claimed to get sexual arousal from fires, which is also not unheard of, and at least claimed to, or maybe he was convicted of this, to have burned down a, a building with someone he had locked inside it, which is horrible, obviously. Yeah, uh, Otis
1: was convicted of first-degree murder for that fire.
0: Yeah, he, and, and it is, for what you know, you can overemphasize this, but it is, I think, I'm not the only person who said this, Otis Toole seems noticeably creepy and unsettling in his manner. In a way that henry lucas isn't and this might be more that otis tool was just a profound had a profoundly underdeveloped intellect you know one guy said oh this tool is about as dumb as you can get (laughs) you know and that's that's pretty much i mean an iq considerably lower than the legal um baseline uh, uh you know
1: a functionality which is seventy. I so I suppose a, like he was a physically he was like over six foot tall. He was muscular. Yeah, he was like he was he was a he was a well built. Uh, but it was it was a, a cross dresser as well. The look like it's it's a more. I'd say it's a more like macabre and slapdash, bunch of qualities compared to like Henry Lee Lucas who's more like, like a good old boy. It's like a, yeah. Although, it's like a, although
0: Henry Lucas has the, has the has the false eye, which gives him a, something Yeah, a, but,
1: but he's, 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 he's I guess he just has a scary affect, like he could be.
0: He has a scarier affect, and I think this helps support, uh, I think that's another thing that was useful about Otto's uh, tool, is it supports his, invoking him, bringing him into this supports Henry Lucas's claim. It makes it seem more believable that these are these two killers, and and as we've seen, we've already covered in a couple cases, and we'll keep and we'll cover more of these. In the seventies and eighties, we have these duo killers. That's a real phenomenon. It's an inter- it's interesting psychologically and sociologically, but you really do see this happening. And there's something about two guys who are on the same wavelength, or a man and a or a, and a woman, um, who, who are that it's that for whatever reason it it makes. It, it, it adds to the unsettling nature of it. It seems like there's this, like some bad moon is, is in action. There's some strange thing that's bringing this about. And, and of course, when they bring in supernatural explanations of a very silly uh, nature later on, that is more likely to believe because you have these two guys who for, just seem to come out of nowhere, who, who drift around the country, and who are of... A similar make and seem, and at least according to their stories, they're doing these crimes together. I think Otis Tool is useful to Henry Lee Lucas because um, because it it sort of supports the picture, and and then that in turn is useful to Jim Boutwell and the Texas Rangers and the others who are trying to take advantage of that. So at this
1: time, the the police are all in. You you're looking at late 1983, early 1984. So Rangers are uh, trying to interview Henry Lucas on the Lisa M. Martini murder, prompting from Rangers, uh, Lucas is, is describing aspects of uh, her apartment building, and they're taking Henry to different sites of murders where he, he claims. He does have a suspiciously good memory when it comes to some of these cases, but also they People have talked about him being prompted by uh, police officers in, in a number of these cases, especially Jim Boutwell. So 107 officers from 18 states uh, met in Monroe, Louisiana to at the, at the conference on Henry Lucas between January the 17th and the 20th. And um, they claimed to date, we have cleared 72 cases in total both of Henry Lucas and Otis Tool, and they were setting up and organizing interviews with uh, police officers from all over the United States at that time. And
0: Jim Batwell is pretty clear about that, you know, he's taking his entire reputation to Henry Lucas. At one point, he had this sign in his office that that basically said, the Henry Lucas School of Psychology, which is an outrageous thing to say about a your school psychology is based on a brain damaged drifter who the very least killed his mother, you know, who is the farthest thing from, you know, but the whole thing wasn't more like saying, you know, that they were staking the entire reputation, Batwell and his entire department on this guy and everything he had to say. And it is, it's, it's, it's kind of telling that, that they did that in that way. Well, so
1: around this time, you also have like people like the Japanese journalists turning up and talking <laughs> to Henry Lucas. And Henry Lucas is, you know, chipper and really happy to talk to them. He claims, to date, we have cleared 72 cases in total, both of Henry Lucas and Ossus Toole. And they were setting up and organizing interviews with uh, police officers from all over the United States at that time.
0: Right. And, and, and Jim Boutwell is pretty clear about that, you know, he's taking his entire reputation to Henry Lucas. At one point, he had this sign in his office that basically said, the Henry Lucas School of Psychology, which is an outrageous thing to say about a that your school of psychology is based on a brain damaged drifter who, at The very least killed his mother, you know, who is the farthest thing from, you know, but the whole thing wasn't more like saying, you know, that they were staking the entire reputation, Batwell and and his entire department, on this guy and everything he had to say. And it is, it's, it's, it's kind of telling that,
1: that they did that. So at this time it's becoming a, a big public story and you even have a Japanese journalist turning up at the police station to talk to Henry Lee Lucas more as as a story. And Henry Lucas jokes with them and says, you know, that, that he has even been to Japan and he has jobs. He describes his jobs there as well. Uh, and people ask him, uh, how did he get there? And he said that he drove, he drove to, to Japan. So, you know, the kind of uh, the make-believe that's um, that pervades this story is, is re- really emphasized there but I think I think this is at the point at which this really becomes uh, what Guy of talked about in the society of the you know the spectacle like everyone involved in this the the, the Rangers uh, Jim Batwell the Mesia and Henry Lucas himself and Otis to 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 a certain extent uh, is incentivized to involve themselves and to create this, this spectacle, even though, um, you know, they're not, they aren't actually solving any crimes. There's, this, there's you know, there's a this, this scene in season three of The, the, the Wire where uh, the police commissioner says, you know, the drug wars really ruined this job. It's really, it's really ruined it because you don't get to do any genuine policing. And I feel like this story shows you that in part, like any, any theory or any like uh, phenomenon that becomes quite prevalent in a- in any institution, e- even the police, like serial killers, serial killing is kind of in-, in part ruining policing, ruining the hard graft you have to go to deal with the particular uh, the parents or loved ones of, of of the victim and the hard work that you have to do to actually solve these crimes, which are always very difficult. To solve, it's being replaced by this, this spectacle, this genre of serial killing, in the time where serial killers are becoming big public blockbusters and, and genres for the American public. You know things like Deliverance and the Texas Chainsaw Saw ma- Massacre. This kind of genre, this kind of this 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 American archetype that has emerged. In- like so many other uh, American archetypes, is 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 filling up space through the medium of television. It's being beamed all over the country. The the confession killer. It, it it's something that's that's rap, wrapping people up. People are watching it all the time. They're they're listening to news stories. Uh, Henry Lucas is becoming a character. Uh, Jim Boutwell, who's running for sheriff uh, regularly is is seen as stoic and strong and a man who's solved crimes of this nature before henry lucas is 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 almost like a religious figure a a a a soul who's become poor who's who's doing this out of the kindness of of his heart or or like a change in, in 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 himself where he's you know helping the public all of this stuff is lies all of it all of it's 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 make-believe it it's it, it's the the fusing of the spectacle with you know the the reality of american life and 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 in here now the spectacle is really taking over and uh making kind of a mockery of of the of, of even the the crimes that 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 have have punctured the lives of all of these 100 people even 200 people who've who've died, and, and, and all of their thousands of people who, who knew them and their families, it's all being reduced, all being trivialized by the spectacle of Henry Lucas.
0: Yeah, that's one of the things is we don't really know what happened. Thousands in Texas alone in the 70s and 80s who were, who were murdered, and uh, some of those were not solved, but either way, what happened to them, whatever can account for that is very real. But yeah, I mean, this is very much this this. It's also people really want a good story. This is all becoming part of America's, um, you know, uh, civic religion, which is commerce, mass media, and and good stories. They sell, and they and 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 what Jim Beltwell is doing is he's selling. But it also this also fits the narrative of the period too, because. This is the Reagan era. So having this this authoritative figure, or rather the image of an authoritative figure, who who um you know the, of the good and the bad people who, who who restores order, who restores optimism. That's very much like a Reagan figure. And of course, Reagan himself was an image because people were largely buying him. Um, on the basis of the characters he played in movies, not so much his personal life. The and I feel
1: like Bowell Bowell could be a character that Reagan could play in a, in a in a movie. Yeah,
0: yeah. He, yeah I mean, he's that. It is. It's, it's. It is very much of that that kind of person, um, because because that and that's the image that is also that was kind of perpetuated in in Texas. George W. Bush comes up later in the story, but. When he was president, he was constantly comparing himself to Reagan. But he also loved to kind of project this image of machismo and to sell people stories that were satisfying but were not necessarily true. This is a particular American phenomenon, but everything's bigger in Texas. So you have a supersized version of this in Texas with this that I think also there's a greater appetite for. The other thing is, is that serial killing in the 70s, You have, as I said, figures like Ted Bundy, who are, you know, have the boy next door image, who who project a kind of um, almost aristocratic uh, air to them. You have uh, John Wayne Gacy, part of the political machine in Chicago, a successful businessman. You know, the image people have, which has been furthered in some ways by the popular movies and drive-in films in the 70s and 80s, it is to some degree of the other side of America. And certainly Henry Lucas and Otis Toole were very much of the underclass. And there's a great deal of fear of the underclass in movies of either, you're, you're talking about hicks, you know, backwoods uh, hicks or drifters or or black uh, uh, hoodlums or, or whatever. You have, This is this is, you know, some of the, the uh, the the social unrest and and um, and and and, and uh, conflict in the country is is processed in that. In the case of Henry Lucas and Otto's Tool, you have you have two guys who not just fit what Jim Boutwell is selling, but who, who are, mu- are I think a much more oddly enough, they're, even though they're saying that they're the worst. And you have like the Night Stalker. These are figures who people more can more readily associate with their image. Of what a serial killer is, the perfect serial killer, I think, was the description, of, you know, of Henry Lee Lucas. And at one point, Jim Butwell invites um, Hugh Ainsworth down to interview Lucas. Lucas is kind of like his—he's kind of like King Kong, having been, you know, put on display. And uh, except that Lucas is 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 more than willing to go along with it. But the thing is, is that Hugh Ainsworth is a respected journalist who uh, uh, wrote one of the more um, Known uh, books about Ted Bundy, he was in a, a major part of the Ted Bundy docuseries series on Netflix a few years ago, and um, Hugh Ainsworth is is uh, it meets with uh, with Henry Lee Lucas, and pretty quickly Cottons onto that. There's this isn't this doesn't quite work. This is an image of a serial killer, not really, you know. And at one point, apparently Henry Lee Lucas flatly told Hugh Ainsworth that uh, he was making it all up. <laughs> I think there are times where Henry Lucas is utterly, a hundred percent on this and utterly, on the idea of, of that he's making it up. Other and I, and I think he can't later because of his brain damage. Can't later remember when he does one or the other. So it, so it's hard to tell when he's when he is dissembling and when he's just bullshitting or when he's when he's saying something he thinks is true. But apparently he did tell Hugh Ainsworth that Hugh Ainsworth,
1: um He he told Hugh Ainsworth that, for a particular murder. That he had already confessed to, that he there's no way he could have done it. He was at work. So Hugh Ainsworth did the research, uh, in in Jacksonville to see, um, and it it checked out that Henry Lucas uh, was at was at work at the time, and there's no way he could have committed that murder. And that and Hugh Ainsworth is the first person to kind of really, as you say, to really like start to furrow his brow about. By all of these uh, murders. But it's also around this same time that uh, Sister Clemmie, uh works with Henry Lucas. Um, she, she was a, a nun, and um, they got really close. She used to talk about her, like, um, you know, he was close to her the way he'd been close to his father, his father. and uh, she was trying to get him to confess uh, more and and you know working with him and uh, Jim Batwell. they seem to be the two people who kn- knew how to make him sing. Yeah, she
0: she I think I think uh, uh, Sister Clemmy has um has more than most involved in the story. Some of the members of the Texas Rangers, including some who were in that uh, the Confession Killer uh, Netflix series, still insist that everything Henry Lucas said is true, and they're sticking with it, and you know. That's their idea of being strong and principled, I guess. But Clemia uh, I think has has realized that that her um, very sincere desire to to help Henry Lucas and to do what she you know, to do the right thing and and and, 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 um, and, and, and to serve God in her thoughts of this um, that, that she, she thought that to doing that, getting Henry to confess to all these things. Would be that would would help him clear his soul and help the, the investigation and, and also specifically help the the, the the grieving families get some closure. The problem is it was it, it had the opposite effect of that because it did not actually bring uh, any uh, truthful resolution to those cases. She I think has since um, realized that she was um, taken for a ride by uh, by Henry and by Sheriff Boutwell and all these other people. And
1: yeah, and she, she does seem to have a moment where she's looking at Sheriff Battle and then she's looking at Hugh Wainsworth and, the, and Henry Lucas's defense team and she doesn't really know where she settles. She She's kind of taken for a ride like most people until she realizes that Henry Lucas is lying to her.
0: kind of thing about how people Henry Lucas is we talked about how he how neither he nor his tool were intelligent which is true but Henry Lucas does have an ability typical of a lot of uh, con uh, con artists to be very good observers of the room and to know what to say and march art because what does it meet with someone's approval that's pretty easy to tell he tells he, he when he talks to Clemmy, he just tells her what she what she wants to hear he just keeps giving it to her. And it's this kind of pretty standard script for what you get with people talking about, you know, religious revelations and that he's been changed and he's been and that and, yeah, Jesus came to him and told him to say these things and and I think one of the things that Clemmy said is she really sensed that that he that he was a gentle person, that he that he that he had moved on from his horribly violent past and all these things. She may have been sensing something in him that was real. But um he just sort of
1: fed this, this kind of um, uh, cock-and-bull story. And, 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 uh, but it, it wasn't until fun. the Orange Socks murder that uh, obviously Henry Lucas had confessed to that things start to get kind of hairy here because now for the Orange Socks murder, he is going to be executed.
0: Orange Socks was the nickname of a woman, a woman um, who was found wearing those Orange Socks named Deborah Jackson. But uh, that was one of the major cases in, that was going to lead to Henry Lucas getting executed. And uh, Lucas would eventually proceed from George W. Bush uh, when he was governor of Texas because Bush was preparing his presidential campaign, and one of his things was, you don't execute people who or you didn't do the crime. And it turned out that Lucas,
1: well, he may have done some crimes, who knows, at the very least killing his mother, he had not uh, done the crime. He the death penalty. Orange Sox, he initially confessed to, but... Um, So they did their own investigation to to find out um, if if Henry Lucas was uh, in Texas but uh, they found out there was no way he could have been in Texas he was in prison on the 27th of August um, when the crime was supposed to have in in that week when the crime was supposed to have taken place and then they even then they even tracked you know, Henry Lucas's movement. So they said, you know, things like he would have had to go two thousand miles from one state to another state, uh, two thousand miles to get to get to Arkansas, nine thousand miles to get to New New Mexico on October the tenth, sixteen hundred miles to get to Louisiana. You know, these is these they were looking at the the data on on the cases and the, the time it, it would have taken to, to reach all these places and it becomes clear that, that this is fallacious. Batwell just had a board on,
0: up and Henry was always, you know, he would ask Henry, where did you do this? And Henry would just, you know, stick a pin here, stick a pin there.
1: And then, yeah, then they, they looked at, the, it's impossible for him, let alone... Well, that's him. why Sheriff Conway you know, said like, he's like U.S. delivery, you know, he's everywhere. He's, he's gonna... <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and he was delivering
0: packages, people wanted it. Like Amazon, he got it there on time.
1: <laughs> and,
0: and, and, you know, it's maybe, I suppose it's possible that maybe other agents of the, the, um, aus- of the, of the, the auspicious international organization he was a part of, uh, <laughs> the hand of death, were were, were carrying on that up. But um, <laughs> we'll get to that in a minute. But um, no, he, 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 I think they, they, they could tell that immediately that uh well, not, I not me mean, they could it, it was it was decipherable after some honest observation of the case that, that this was all just being thrown literally thrown at the wall and you know he was just sticking uh pins into these various places and, you know, just just giving the authorities what they wanted. But it was not possible for him to have been in these places logistically at all at the
1: time it was so there was a young DA at the time that some people think that he had, had um political ambitions named, uh, Faisal. Yeah. And, uh, to, to, and he was re- actually raring to go on, on three of the cases and, and the cases were presented to him. And he knew immediately that there was no way Henry Lucas could have been uh, involved in, 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 those cases. And then he started to do the work, do the investigation. You know, he, he, he even went to the data book, um, on, Henry Lucas's murder and tried to tried to check it and and had his access denied and then he was which made him even more curious and so he starts pushing against the idea that Henry Lucas could could have murdered these people and eventually he actually becomes Henry Lucas's uh, attorney in, in in some of the cases into the nineteen nineties. Yeah, and, and 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 the Texas Rangers and others on their side launched an all out war to
0: destroy his life or had him arrested uh put him on trial for various things you know got him basically
1: he, he him was put on trial for like everything he was given he gave gave nine thousand to an attorney in in order to have uh some trial uh what while when he was a lawyer in order to 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 just uh, fleece money for some trial so there was there was lots of stuff like that. Like they they really tr- turned up everything on him, and and when he was going th- to the trial, to the trial, he would talk say things like, "Oh, um, this is because of the Henry Lucas Lucas case." And his lawyer at the trial was told by the judge not to say anything about the Henry Lucas case. But one, but he started his opening speech with like five things about the Henry Lucas case. So clearly he was stitched up because of the henry lucas lucas case um tried to the the, the texas rangers try, really tried to shut him up and they even brought the fbi and the u.s attorney yeah. to, to 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 shut him up
0: well, one of the things was is that um his his uh, his essentially i think his mentor or, or the, the guy who was the head of the texas rangers was a guy named jim adams and jim adams was a protege or at least part of you know of J. Edgar Hoover, and a lot of the, the, the methods that were used to go after uh, uh, Faisal were, were, were essentially Hoover tactics, and, you know, warrantless wire tactics, all manner of things. Um, and they were taken from J. Edgar Hoover's uh, time as the head of the FBI. And at one point, I mean, it really did get dirty. At one point, someone poisoned uh, uh, Faisal's dog. I don't know uh, if that was the Texas Rangers or what, but I mean, they really, they really tried to just intimidate him into just into completely disappearing. try to put him in jail for a the, the Bob Prince is one of the Texas Rangers who's prominently featured in the uh, Confession Killer uh, documentary series. as I think in some ways a comic antagonist. He's he seems a bit like a combination of Chief Wiggum and the rich Texan from The Simpsons. And and he, he to this day insists that. Faisal should be in jail. He should have been in jail for you know, as long as Henry Lucas and everything Henry Lucas said was right. Everything They, they, they did everything right. So they're still sticking with it. They, they, uh, I think that Faisal, as you said, he also went in the opposite direction, which is that everything, even things that were later proven to be that Henry Lucas was lying to him about, you know, he, he got misled too.
1: Um, but so so they, now they um, Henry Lucas is telling actively telling the media that he did not do all of these killings so he's at the press in the 54th district courtroom in Waco he denied that he killed Kate Rich and Becky Powell I have killed mother and that is the only one he says so he's on kind of like on an anti-confessing uh, and then he starts telling people they'll show you pictures of crimes they'll give you all the information in the crime they'll even take you back and point the crime out to you and all you have to do is stand there and say yeah i did it and they've been cleared that way and this is what has got to stop
0: well this is i mean partly i think it was because he was genuinely starting to become frightened about being executed i guess it it it, it, it was a game i think and he was just happy to make sheriff about well and other people Pleased with him, and to get their attention, the perks they were giving for
1: him. Yeah, he's him. he's really terrifying. I think it should be known that if I go anywhere from here, there's no guarantee that I'm going to live. I'll either end up escaping, they'll say, or I'll end up stabbed in some cell where an inmate does does it. So he's scared of. The, now he's trying to see the end for himself, and he's starting to panic, and he's starting to send different messages into the into the media. He was, he was
0: blind by the seat of his pants, for, I think, and he wasn't really considering the long-term ramifications of that, in, you know, until they were right right upon him. And um, and uh, you don't have to be, have suffered severe brain damage and have an IQ below 90 to, to, to do that. I mean, lots of people do that. I've done that. But, you know, the thing about it is, in certain situations, not like, you know, I've, I've never been in in, in jail, but... Uh, just whenever you're dealing with a situation you're trying to get through. He doesn't know. He, he just thinks he's giving good information to, um, you know, he just thinks he's, he's giving the, the his father figure what he wants to, to hear and getting his approval,
1: But you, he can't do anymore. But Jim Batwood actually convinces him on the other side to retract his, his confession. So on Monday, April the 29th, he changed his story you know, there was Bob Loss, Lossine, a you know, rock and roll musician who gave up fast music and fast life in his conversations. Christianity. he was talking to Henry Lucas in a Denver radio program. And uh, Henry Lucas s- stated in that interview that he actually had killed all, all, all of those people and that um, Sister Clammy had helped uh, reconvince recon- him so he, he keeps moving back and forth on, on, on these and I think it's because of his confabulations and his um really weak control or or or, or pulse when it comes to reality and uh, and how um influential people in his life are, whether it's Sister Clemmy, whether it's Jim Boutwell. Yeah, I mean and, and he's someone who as he will have said,
0: I think I, he's a survivor. He, you know, he's trying to just do whatever works for that moment and for that um, period of time. And both Henry and Otis Tool um, have had very—you know—they've been on their own a lot and had not a lot of people show them any level of even um, service-level kindness or interest in them. So when they have that, they, they want to keep keep that going, and uh, and and that—that's not something that they want to do without. And it isn't really until Henry's uh, on the verge of being executed or whatever that he's, that that is a real threat, that he really changes that. And, um, and, and, and by this point, of course, he's taking credit for all manner of murders. He and Oz old, there's a narrative that he and Oz Tule went around the country, uh, committing hundreds if not thousands of murders. And the purpose of this is to clear the role, clear the roles. You know, there's a lot of cops like um, Sheriff Boutwell, who, uh, it, it, you know, whether you did the crime or whether you're a good fit for it, that's the same thing. And what this essentially does is, tech, there's a lot of people, particularly in Texas, who uh, who have uh, been murdered and and there's been no explanation for it. And you can keep it anywhere from Texas or, or elsewhere in the country. Just send someone down there and we'll clear the boards for you. Put a check next to the box check in the box we've cleared the case and you can uh claim that you've done the job and uh if if you're in a position that gets voted on or if you are, are appointed you know given some other form of um promotion or whatever you've done the job and and if we can have someone who's a good explanation for how this gets done that's the same thing as it actually uh you know, it, it, the truth doesn't matter. What matters is what you can sell. And in many ways, that's, that is the American religion. It's certainly American politics. It's that, and, and, you know,
1: the truth will be what you make it. And Faisal really stays on the case. So he says that, um, you know, irrespective of what's been said in the, the radio show, Henry Lucas claims that he did not make the statements to Mr. Larsen as aired on the radio. It's our position that no matter whether Henry Lucas says he did the murders or didn't, he can't be in two places at once. And, I mean, and this back and I mean, forth goes on for years.
0: I mean, that's the problem with
1: this whole thing is... is but at this that, time, uh, in a letter, so later that the afternoon in Georgetown, Bartwell released experts of a letter from Lucas smuggled to him from Clemmy Schroeder. In the letter, Lucas says that the Hands of Death cult, which is one in law enforcement that, that had ever been able to prove existed, uh, was was going to shut my mouth one way or the other. Well,
0: this is easily the, the most uh, comic and funny element of the story, but also one that's, I think, very relevant for the time period because one thing that has been well-documented, we brought this up a little bit in the, um, the, the Night Soccer episode with uh, Jake Flores, and you see this rear its, its head in a lot of, our, of popular culture, in some ways a little bit in my childhood in the 90s, and I think most, most famously in true crime in the case of the West Memphis Three, who were three uh, boys who were accused of a satanic murder that they did not commit in uh, West Memphis, uh, in Arkansas. And, um, but what it is, is that he, uh, Henry Lucas and Otis tool, this is, is a matter of record that they were heard talking with each other while cackling up a couple of hyenas while making up this story. And you know, a lot of, a lot of what they came up with, Henry Lucas and Otis tool for all this thing, it was done on the phone because they were very rarely you know in the same jails so in different States, very rarely together. But they had lots of phone conversations, and I think that's what mostly accounts for this entire story, is them making things up together because it's a game. But the hand of death uh, they made up on the phone was um, apparently, you know, all the way to the top of every branch of the New World Order, and uh, that um, was headquartered in the Everglades National Park, which is essentially a wildlife preserve of wetlands in Florida. And which is largely famous for having a lot of really big alligators and uh, pythons, largely from the which is from Southeast Asia, actually not native to that. It's a wildlife preserve. And, you know, and apparently the, you know, it is also uh, the headquarters of an international satanic cult called the Hand of Death. And it has members from all over the world that meet, um clandestinely in the everglades. And you can just picture it. You've got, you know, the World Economic Forum in the cypress trees. You've got, you know, the uh, the elders of Zion are in, are in a car somewhere, you know. They didn't want to get their shoes dirty. See, so you you've got you've got the Bilderberg group are in the reeds. You you, you know, you got everyone at Bohemian Grove in the it, it, you know, in the grass. And uh, you've got the UN representative snorkeling. I mean you can sort of just imagine it and and apparently what's amazing about this this story was not only that they could hear them making this up but that not only did lots of people believe them but it also this one thing about this kind of thing that this story is is becomes so big the henry lucas and Otis tool affair becomes so big that kind of like if you see in, in in a nature program about the ocean if there's a dead whale, you see all manner of sharks and other creatures just feeding on the corpse. And all manner of grifters get involved. And then right here we have a case of this guy named Max Call. Max Call is a former uh, writer of uh, erotic fiction, shall we say, for uh, for uh, various French magazines as well as for Hustler and other things like that. Turned evangelical exposure, uh, exposure of the satanic uh, cult cult, Underbelly. Now, this was a typical thing of the time, as I said, in the 1980s and the 1990s. There was, um, there was, a, there was a whole satanic panic about uh, Dungeons and Dragons, about heavy metal videos, about all manner of things, and it had sort of, I think, its genesis in, in a lot of these serial killer stories. And it, in, it, there's, for example, example um, Geraldo Rivera, you know, famously the, the, the mustache guy, the reporter. Uh, reported a great, uh, as part of, did this whole thing, exposing Satan's underground. And, and one of the things he did was interview this guy, Robert Burdella, who will come up later in an episode as a sort of a side character, who's a really nasty, horrible serial killer, the Kansas City butcher who tortured and killed at least six young men in Kansas City, but who also ran an antiquities and rare books and items uh, shop called Bob's Bizarre Bizarre. And, and, and this was nationally televised these interviews with this guy and all these people around around Robert Berdella had insisted that he was the high priest of a cult. And then it turns out they were just, they were, once again, there was just this, this the kind of the, before the internet, a version of mimetic contagion. This 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 one thing after another, just one person says this, another person says this, another person says this, and people just believe it. And with him and Lucas, an honest tool, they're an even bigger story, although Robert Bradella is, I think, a much worse killer, from what we know but the thing was is that the hand of death apparently this is part of the most hilarious thing about that is representatives of the hand of death had been uh monitoring henry lucas and Otis tool closely i guess while they were drifting around the southeast in a car and um, and approached them and 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 recruited them to essentially to kidnap children and and other people to be sacrificed in these rich these these rituals that they detailed and lurid of detail, and, and you know when they were talking uh, to people about this, and and this is you know the, the truth of the matter was is we said there were satan they're not satanic but there were cults, or rather organizations like the Delta Project, you know the Franklin Credit Union was a front for for uh, for a trafficking ring. There were the children were being kidnapped and done horrible things to, and people were they did disappear and there were mysterious things about that with this the hand of death is you can find it on amazon still there's a book by this guy max call and it says co-written with him by henry lucas but let's just be honest it was clearly from you know it was written by max call he even admits that to tell the story of henry lucas you have to uh you have to uh, invent a bunch of things you know to tell the proper story because this is just a story and so i'm sure henry lucas gave him some ideas but he went with it and just all these lurid, ridiculous stories and uh, about the Hand of Death cult. And, you know, this is an important story at the time because satanic panic uh, gripped this country in the 1980s and 90s. There was the McMartin preschool uh, things. I, and I know people online who who, uh, who, who say there's some, some fire to some of that smoke in some cases. I don't know. I think it's undoubtedly true that there have been, uh, you know, cults that have done horrible things to children as part of ceremonies. Uh, for whatever reason, that's certainly true. There was a cult in uh, in, in Canada, the Antilkids, which came out of, I think, the Seventh-day Adventist or something, which did horrible things to, to people. But, it, you know, there's all manner of cults that happen, and um, you know, in the shadows. But the thing is, is this was obviously just... This, this bottom-feeding author comes in to... To use Henry Lucas, and this amplifies throughout the culture. These things you can't just say this. This this is um just an isolated thing because it just this there's a mimetic contagion that happens in the culture, and and not it's not, it's you know when the West Memphis Three are railroaded in the early nineties, they're railroaded by people very similar to Jim Boutwell, people who uh who famously were. <coughs> We're trying to uh, find proof of these satanic cults in, in the kind of the backwoods in Arkansas because in New York City and L.A. can't have all the satanic cult serial killers. You know, we're not. You know, we we're, we're not all boring. We got we got crazy stuff happening here, and of course they railroad these three local kids and and, and uh, framed them for having uh, uh, committed the murders of these three little boys who who were murdered by someone, most likely the stepfather of one of the boys. But uh, Damien Echols, uh, Jason Baldwin, and Jesse Miscelli, uh were uh, convicted. And Damien Echols spent 18 years on death row in Arkansas because they insisted he was the ringleader of this because he was a, he was the older of the three, and he was smart, and he was a very fashionable goth kid, at least fashionable for, for a really poor redneck kid from Arkansas. And you see, these things feed into each other. And unfortunately... One of the things that happens from Henry Lucas' story is not only do you have a lot of people whose cases are just left, or there's a false explanation for them, and, and that does not bring any uh, comfort or resolution for the family members of victims, but on top of that, you, you further this environment that, that you know just messes with the lives of innocent people, most in, most, um, in an extreme case, uh, the West Memphis Three. Yeah, and, yeah, that's and, 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 and 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 they're and they're not the only ones who get involved in this because at a certain point in this case, you know, one of the major people who who attaches themselves to this, you know, like a remora on on, on the back of this whale, is uh, is is there's a woman who claims to have been. See, there was never any proof that Henry Lucas killed Becky Powell. And they never found a body, and a woman shows up at a certain point in this, claiming to be. Becky Powell, all grown up, which she would be at that age, it had enough time had passed. And it turned out to be this woman, Ph- Phyllis Wilcox,
1: who had... Been... She was cute, too. It was like yeah, Henry the... had... Lucas, the... he was like... <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you know, she apparently... Uh, I think had, uh, she had some feeling for Henry Lucas, but she was also in contact with Ted Bundy, John Wayne Gacy, Charles Manson, and Richard Ramirez. So, I mean...
1: When you put him in con in, There's like a just know, a groofy. Yeah, she Sarah was and her, hus-
0: and her husband uh, she was married and her husband was part of this thing. Because you have gotta have a game, you're you gotta have something to spice up the marriage, right? You gotta you gotta get some other people involved. Maybe you don't you don't bring them into your house, but you get these dangerous multiple murderers a cult leader in the case of Manson and Con Man in into your life. And the thing is is that one of the other funny things about this time is, once again, we have a bit of a callback to our last episode, because where we had Richard Ramirez uh, with Maury, uh, well, not Maury Povich, sorry, Montel Williams. I, I'm sure, not sure which one it was. Maury Povich and Montel Williams are all the same, but um, they're all kind of the same kind of shows. They're all on, you know, in the 80s and 90s. And uh, anyway, uh, uh, Phyllis Wilcox went on Montel Williams to talk about that. This is a way... Very much like I think with Henry Lucas and Alice Tool, this, get, this gives them a level of public recognition, and and and, and infamy or and, and 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 what is fame, you know, but infamy—the kind of this the same different, you know. If people can use anything to become famous, you know, you see this online all the time.
1: Someone and what one wonders what happened to, to Becky Powell, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean, well, this is one of the reasons I think that the story about. Henry Lee Lucas accidentally killing her strikes me to be possibly accurate because uh, because she's disappeared. One of the other explanations Henry uh, offered at one point was that she had ran off with another trucker.
1: Yeah, it broke, that, broke that, his that's, heart. That,
0: that's not impossible because one of the stories he says is that she was uh, kind of a randy uh, teenager and she was always trying to uh, seduce him And he and according to what he said is he didn't He's a gentleman. He didn't. Uh, he didn't ever have uh, relations with Becky. He just went off and killed a woman and had sex with her dead body. <laughs> oh. I, I don't think that was true. But but you know what would a man do without sex with the dead? The thing about it is, is, that, is that I
1: don't I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's a lot like uh, Christopher Nolan's Memento. You know, if you made a if you actually made a yeah. movie about this, like, with what we know, it'd be more like that than, you know, the, the, the tale that um, Henry Lucas cooked up, you know. Well, the Memento, whilst well I've
0: seen it. My memory is a really tremendous. Um, but that he has these, you know, um, flashing back memories or thoughts about it and then concludes from those things that, that, that um someone killed his wife is that i don't remember yeah yeah if that's accurate. Yeah, and um no i remember that being a really good movie uh, i um and and the thing the thing about it is 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 that we don't know what happened to becky all we know is that she never turned up it's also possible that maybe she it, that she that if she didn't die and she ran off with someone else maybe she just decided not to make any more of a spatula of herself maybe she she wasn't a fame seeker she was just the niece of it, of a kind of extremely derelict man and honest tool she, she, but i think was more likely because no one's ever seen her again that
1: we but well, where's the body was,
0: we don't we know you don't know but the thing is we do know henry lucas and Otis tool traveled uh prodigious amounts of distance over long spaces and you know we also know that henry lucas barely remembers anything I mean, there's a lot of, th- this, is a, this is a
1: case where the, the one constant is we have no idea what happened, on whose account, uh, who did what. Because one, one time, one time, I mean, there's not to memento this up. There's one time he did tell the journalist, Ainsworth, that Becky Powell wasn't dead, that she ran off with the trucker. And that is possible. And then, he, and then he's coming out and saying, well, the only person I've killed is my mother. Right? Well, that was, that was what
0: he kind of re, it reverts back to. He reverts he back to, story. yeah. And, and, that, and, and it could be that the only person Henry Lucas has actually ever killed was his mother. That is possible.
1: We don't know. But like we could get a time machine, go back to 82 or to the late 70s, and we could track them. And what could have happened was we would find Henry Lucas murdering this girl. No one knows anything about it, but we saw it. And then we have to relive the whole charade of the la- the decade afterwards. So we don't know. No How has that, that not been a, 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 a
0: science fiction show? I mean, incidentally, I have to say, I've never understood how time travel isn't anything other than a grotesque
1: existential horror. You know, <laughs> the only, I mean, I've seen a couple of good time travel movies in general. I find it to be
0: a really bad conceit to be used in, in fiction, but part of it is that it's just, it's horrible. It's that, okay, you travel back in time and and you know you're there and no one else does. It's, it, it, you know, and but you've seen the future. That is a horrible thing, I think. <laughs> I never
1: understood the also yeah, I think I'd, I'd have possible. my existential crisis after I betted on several different teams to take off and start <laughs> winning in the, in their various uh, different sports. But yeah, yeah, no, that is that's, that's, that's the, the I think the the, the most just. But no, I think you I think you are right. Like even even the thought of that, even the thought of fully knowing about the crime, especially if he did murder her, I would prefer not to know, almost. It's 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 such a sad thing. But it's almost like at this point no one no one's attached to, to that story and that person anymore like that. Well there's a lot of cases, including one in
0: particular we're gonna do in a couple episodes, which I'll leave in suspense, but where when I learned about the case, my first instinct was I have to learn everything I know about the case and then I really wanted to know wanted to wanted to find out that a bunch of what I just read wasn't true. Because in that case, um, and I'll just say, it was a, the Leonard Lake and Charles Ng case, in that case, a lot of what happened, we only know from things Charles Ng said to people in jail, and we don't know if they're true or not, or if he was just being a bra- braggadocious liar, but we don't know. But, so I think the thing is, is that with a lot of times, in these crime cases, as well as other things, you don't know what happened, you just have you have either have some idea what might have happened, you have someone saying something happened, or you have no idea whatsoever, and um, in a lot of cases, whatever the reality is, it's really horrible. But in this case, I don't even know.
1: I think a few years go by, and that um, there's there's obviously, the rangers want to keep it, and Henry LeLucas has killed hundreds of people. You know, they they also want to keep some of the it's two murders: wife Fazel, and Hugh Ainsworth, and eventually Sister Clemmie. Are all pushing against that. And eventually George Bush does um, because of the obliqueness of the crimes, does give him a stay on on an execution on a particular particular climate. And George Bush was not known for someone who I mean, you know, like he George Bush says, this is a execution, it's a death penalty state. George Bush was not known for doing that very often at all, but he did it for, for Henry Lucas, in part because well, think, the, uh, the lawyers had talked to him and the, ju- journalists had, uh, and the journalists had tried to talk to him about it, but also, I guess, because people just don't know, you know, with, with Henry Lucas. Well, I mean, George, one of the things that George Bush uh, ran on, and, and it was, he said, my dad is one of the last things I write. I think
0: it tells you a lot about the utter arrogance, the profound arrogance and self-assuredness of that man, and and you know, cloaked under this sort of veneer of um humbleness. And, and sometimes, though, sometimes it's the opposite because sometimes um, it is in the interest of people who are who, who are looking for something to get the, the you know to pin it on Henry Lucas Arada's tool. But it, but sometimes uh, commuting the sentence is in their in their interest. So it's it is usually a matter of that. And sometimes you have people who they just want an explanation, and and what they really want is they want a proper resolution of the case. They want the person who did it to to be held to account, uh, you know, commensurate to the the injury done to them. But sometimes they just at a certain point they just want anything anyone to at least take some. To, to at least answer the question because one of the other major things that connects to this is and i mentioned this in a couple of cases in previous episodes the murder of adam walsh is i think a landmark event in american culture that changed a generation of parents and a generation of how children were raised and adam walsh was an angelic little boy whose father became the host of america's most wanted and a lifelong advocate for for people who were uh, killed by both serial killers and other hard criminals Adam Walsh was a little six-year-old boy who um, was abducted from a mall in Florida in 1981 who, uh, and who was last seen um, with a blonde man uh, near a blue van. And his body it was never found except for the head. The head was found tossed somewhere. And there's um, eventually, Otis Tool claimed responsibility for this, had a whole you know, I think, grotesque, I think made up story about it. And um, Adam Walsh's father met with Otis Tool, and I think he'd been spending decades trying to solve this and, and figuring this, and then finally just accepted that Otis Tool did it, and then that was the, enough of an answer for him. One of the interesting things about this story is that um, in the area, living in the area at the time was none other than Jeffrey Dahmer. And Jeffrey Dahmer was, had been seen to approach uh, children in that mall before. And a blonde man was last seen with, with, with Adam Walsh. So I think there's a better reason to think that it's possibly Jeffrey Dahmer, except that Jeffrey Dahmer has never been known to molest or kill small children. Uh, none of his uh, known victims, that was not the, the case. I think more likely it's just some other blonde man in the area. But it was the classic nightmare scenario where you had a kid who was with their mom. The mom just looks away for a, like 30 seconds and the kid is gone. And I think that... You have other cases at the time. You had a kid in in, in the year I was born in uh, San Francisco, a few years after Adam Walsh, and um, and and I think that, that this sort of like these other things, like the Satanic Panic, it diffuses into the collective psyche in a kind of a little you know this this sort of psychic contagion in the unconscious. And starting with people who were kids in the 80s and 90s, you have a much more protective. Might, we might say overprotective childbearing style, than compared to the more uh, laid-back uh, style of parenting in previous de- decades before that, and and so, but the, the thing was is that um, Adam Walsh's dad, I think, was just so overcome with rage and, and 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 grief, and and at a certain point, I think he just wanted an answer, and Oz Tool gave him that, and never get another one so you know you can't say that I mean I don't buy it but they, they did clear a, they didn't just clear the books for the cops in some cases they they cleared the books for the families but in also in other cases there were particular people who were not found or were not investigated because Jim Batwell and other law enforcement people decided they were just gonna uh, get, uh, get another gold star next to their name and Use Henry Lucas and Otto Stool to clear their books, and um, and and and, and in, in at least one case, as was shown in the in the confession Killer documentary, Rita Salazar uh, was one of the many uh, uh, women who claimed it was claimed had been murdered by Henry Lucas. And it turned out that many um, years later, decades later, uh, that that um, another man uh, it turned out was the what had always been the, the, the murder of Rita Salazar, and he confessed. But that wasn't until uh, the family, as has been the case in a lot of other cases,
1: realized that this whole thing had been cooked up by the Texas rangers and police departments, and they demanded an actual reckoning with what happened uh, to their loved one. And in that case, that was done. But in a lot of these cases, there's never been any resolution at all. Yeah, and, and some families um, didn't believe that Henry Lucas killed uh, their, their daughter. But the Rita Salazar family did believe it. And once um, George W. Bush was thinking about um, stopping Henry Lucas's uh, ex- execution, they, they petitioned and protested against um, George W. Bush doing this day, But eventually you know the the killer of Rita Salazar and potentially Kevin K was revealed to be a completely different uh, individual yeah i mean well, uh, it's it's i mean it, losing losing a loved one
0: uh, in the way, in this manner is so catastrophic that it's psychologically necessary for the family members to buy at least uh, to buy that to buy the explanation that's offered if they can because at least it, it channels some of their grief and hatred away from themselves and at the very least you have at least some explanation for it and and there can be some level of retribution that's exact' exacted by the law for them and some explanation because often what people say and in fact very consistently what people say is that it's is that not knowing or not having an explanation or not having a you know a a satisfactory narrative for this is the hardest thing because there are sometimes their parents of a child where something horrible has happened to them and they and and they don't tell them what happened but they need to know it actually it actually helped even if it's the answer is horrible it helps the least it helps them to at least get the resolution the same thing with who is responsible for it so they went You Know particularly because he and Otto Stool were such a, a kind of a believable um uh, picture of what people thought a serial killer was from drive through movies, uh, drive in movies. Um, but the thing is, is that um, it, it, they trusted the law enforcement initially because that's the job of law enforcement, is it, you know, and people do and, and people do tend to trust
1: authority figures, and yes, because every, everyone like, um, was out of central casting, like you say, you know, you had the the bum drifters, you had the Jim Boutwell, you know, you had you had uh, believable uh again, it's just like the spectacle. You had this the kind of um the this this the skeleton of a, of a really believable television program, but this wasn't reality.
0: Tall tale in America. This 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 sort of this, this sprawling story of that 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 people believe because it's a good story. And people and, and I think that people also tell these stories because they're kind of enjoyable to tell. Now in this case it's not enjoyable anyway relating to, to Solazar's family, but or the
1: other victims' families, but it is it is of a piece with these kind of stories of the period and of this whole trajectory. Um, in 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 uh, in this in, in this in this period of of American culture and um and I, I know, think nothing un- underlines it better. I mean, it's it's such a sad story in so many ways, but nothing underlines it better than Jim Boutwell and Henry Lucas standing under the uh, the psychology of Henry Lucas certificate. <laughs> you know, like this, it really is. You know. The medium is there is there proper accreditation for a board that has certified it like But it really is, you know, the it goes back to marshall McLuhan's the the medium is the message, the medium is television and here are the two uh you know, two of the central cast of the of of the television and, and and it's just it all it is is the all it is, is showbiz all it is is the medium it's it isn't really it isn't really real, and and in and in some ways it's, it's there to help you feel better about things, there for the families to cover up things you know they they don't necessarily need to do the work to really do the thinking, and and feel like in this period Americans it, it really stopped thinking they 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 loved Ronald Reagan after the you know the. The obliqueness uh, and difficulties of the nineteen seventies, you know that 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 and how they felt about the nation wasn't the same anymore. Now it's the nineteen eighties, and you have Ronald Reagan. He's saying the Vietnam, you know, was a was a good and honest struggle, and people want to watch movies like Deer Hunter, which you know, um, hagiographies for the for the for the um, POWs who went over there, and and they want to believe in. These kinds of serial killers, who, you know, completely remove all the nuance and all the all the personalities, all the everyday evil that happens in in, in society, and just makes it a force of nature. And they have Jim Boutwell there as well, you know, to, to be the to the paternalistic father figure, uh, just like Reagan. Yeah, I think all this comes out of the the lack of resolution,
0: and there was a lack of resolution for the families involved and for Adam Walsh's family, and there was a lack of resolution regarding the Vietnam War, which we talked a bit about in in the Richard Ramirez episode, which has been covered a lot, like the Ken Burns documentary, this whole period, all the stuff that happened in the 70s, and Reagan was essentially selling a, a, um, I think a uh, willfully delusional picture of this country, Uh, but just a little bit by some by an economic recovery, which was I think largely, at least in terms of the in terms of the financial sector, by cocaine in South America. But you have, uh, it is very much fitting. It was a cocaine fueled era that an era fueled of sort of um, fanciful optimism that was be necessary. People needed after all this discord chaos in the nineteen seventies and, and all the stuff that happened in the sixties. There, there there was it, it served a function. And the thing is is that whenever you have these periods where people reach their limit of their ability to tolerate fear or to tolerate uncertainty, to tolerate a discord, anyone who can come in and fix it is believed. And I think right now what we're dealing with is is that, you know, we're in, I think, a little bit of a thing after the pandemic where you know, we, we experienced a little bit of that, or at least people who lived in particular places experienced a, a lot of that, that sense of this invisible monster that you couldn't, that was contagious that you couldn't protect from, and and people were just looking for someone to blame, and they're looking for narratives that explain it all,
1: and there always is a risk in that sort of situation. And they, yeah, um, and, they, and they're looking for paternalistic hero figures, you know, they... they Fauci was Fauci, they, was made Fauci, in, they, made the they turned... <laughs> <laughs> they turned uh, Cuomo uh, in New York into, you know, a bit of a of a sexy hero as well, you know. It's just... Yeah, and until he made a few staffers uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> it allowed, it allowed hundreds of thousands, a lot of, like, tens of thousands of people to die in their own filth in, in these old, old folks' homes in
0: the middle of the pandemic. That's why he shouldn't have even gotten rid of, not because a bunch of upper-class staffers had a bad day. You know, it's just, it, 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 is, it, is, it, is, it is interesting, though, because this when people have you know when you when you have a child who is terrified let's say a child gets injured and they're terrified instinctively the first thing a parent will do other than maybe stop a bleeding artery or something like that will is is comfort the child and provide something that ameliorates We understand that nothing is more of this empty void than fear and anxiety it's just it never there's never no end to it particularly if you have uh brain problems like me i mean the thing about it is 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 that when you people have a limit and 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 also people will take, when they're under duress from this uncertainty and insecurity and discord in the society and fear over crime or fear over the serial killer or over predation or anything else, someone who comes in and promises that they're fixing the problem, they're they're providing order and stability, they're going to provide an end to the fear and replace that with... Good feelings. For that. And it's entirely reasonable that the family members of these um, these victims believe um, their hero, believe their their uh, heroes in law enforcement believe these figures who fit the image of of what the the the, the cowboy is in, in in our culture, which is you know obviously cowboy is is a is a, is a cattle ranger, but in, in our popular, the cowboy is basically a knight. Uh, the cowboy comes in and, he, and, and he, 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 he is the kind of the white knight. He, he delivers the town from its uh, assailants and he saves the, the, the princess or whatever it is. It's, it's very similar to these stories. And I remember uh, about uh, 20 years ago reading something that uh, said, George W. Bush ain't no cowboy, about how he wasn't actually this guy, but just like Jim Batwell. But Jim Batwell sold himself as a white knight, and actually he was he was exploiting the situation, as were the Texas Rangers. But you can understand the Texas Rangers have this uh, very characteristic belt buckle and hats, and they have this image, the Texas image that's essentially like a knight. It's a, it's an august body that you you get to wear that because you are a member of the Texas Rangers. But they're no more the Texas Rangers than than the than. Uh, then George J. Bush was for buying the Texas Rangers baseball team, which
1: he mishandled, of course, but, <laughs> you know, the thing George Bush is a yay from Connecticut. He's not really from Texas. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah, that's true. But we also have very much. It's, 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 uh, essential to the American character, the idea that you can reinvent yourself. You can go somewhere else and be something that you were, maybe we not born to be. We don't have to the manner. We don't have to
1: the manner born in our well As is a is is downward mobility, a uh, dream of, uh, of well yes, the American it, but, experience. right. Well, you know what was that George Carlin line, you know, the thing you know, to have the American dream you have to, by
0: definition, you have to be asleep. You know, <laughs> you know to be dreaming. Because it, it is That's
1: always
0: that's always the situation is there's always a little bit of truth to the American thing because I think one of the great stories in American uh, culture and history is the Donner Party. People know the Donner Party as this group of got lost in the Sierra Nevadas and resorted to cannibalism. And all that is true. But there are two other things with the Donner Party that are interesting. The first is that they ended up in the wilderness, lost in the wilderness by themselves uh, in, the, uh, in the middle of nowhere and in the Sierra Nevada mountains because they were sold bad directions. Which uh, is mean, very common that you buy directions off of people to get to the Pacific Ocean. And there were all these convents telling people bad directions to nowhere. And that happened to them. But one of the other things that happened was a bunch of members of the Donner Party through the pure American gumption and loyalty and courage, sorry, my I didn't think thought uh, through through pure uh, through all that stuff, they made it without directions, without a winter coat, without proper footwear. A handful of members of the Donner Party made it across the Sierra Nevadas to the Pacific Ocean, and by that time, everyone they left behind had died. So that was, but. I mean, there is a side of it. Americans do what people tell them. You're foolish and stupid to even attempt. And sometimes we do it. Because a few times we do it, everyone else believes they could be the ones who can do it. And you can have George W. Bush, who sold himself as this Texas cowboy, and Ronald Reagan, who sold himself as Newt Rock, All-American, as this great this great. You know, he was just a guy from Missouri. You know, he was a, as you once described, Ronald Reagan was a California crystals guy. You know, he was... You know, all, it was just you know it's 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 BS. But the thing is, is that there is always a little bit of truth to it. And the thing is, I remember Stephen Fry uh, saying that you know the difference between Americans and the people who, who stayed behind in Europe was Americans were people who, who you know who thought I can do this, and then once they uh. like, went, well, I think I I think I'd rather not. And that is true because whether they were successful or not, people who went to America. Decided it was worth the risk, and other people who didn't did decide it was not. Mm-hmm. If you look at like uh, the Italians in America, our image of Italians is largely of Southern Italians because most Im, uh, um, migrants who came from Italy were more like you know, Al Pacino, who is actually from Corleone. You know, he was actually from that place in Sicily. We have Southern Italians, whether from Sicily or elsewhere, who came to America. So our image of the Italian is more like the dark haired more mediterranean colored guy rather than the Northern Italians, you know, with the, with the blue gray eyes and the sandy hair, we don't have as much of those because many of those people had more, were not as close to the water. They had more money. They're more rooted in these local cultures. And, and we have people who came to America out of necessity and, and to some degree out of self-belief and to some degree out of, because they, they, they took risks. And, you know, I know people like that. My mother's, from pioneers. my mother has that quality. She just takes risks. She does things. She used to, you know, swing over a pig pen on the farm. She, she you know, her family. Had uh,
1: she, she mean, we got, we got to wrap this up. Wrap
0: this okay. We got to wrap this up. Okay. Well, um, this is the story of, uh, Henry Lee Lucas and Otis Tool, but actually it's the story of America during this period and of a giant, uh, scan that was perpetuated. And I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, We'll be back with a more uh, typical uh, uh, case of the period. Um, I think it will be with, with, uh, with Robert Hansen, the butcher baker. Uh, we'll see you guys next time.
1: See you next time.